What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 117 of the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the space and the place that God has put us. Well, I know this about every leader. Every leader has highs and every leader has lows. And sometimes those lows can take us to a place we never dreamed we would be. On today's episode, I get to sit down with the amazing leader of one of America's largest churches, a multiple book author, a conference speaker as good as anybody out there, one of the most recognizable faces in America, Pastor Chris Hodges from Church of the Highlands. And I get to unpack Pastor Chris's story, his story of going from the light of life and all the good that's going on to finding himself in a cave that he didn't know a way out of. And he makes a line and he makes a, um, a comment in our episode. He said, you know, when you're in a cave, even moths sometimes seem like bats. We've all had this cave seasons, haven't we? The question of leadership is how long are you going to stay in the cave? Today, Pastor Chris opens up his story so it can help your story. So I don't know where you're listening from today, but I promise this. You are in for a blessing. As Pastor Chris Hodges tells his story about how he got in the cave and how he found his way out. So I want you to pull up a chair and listen in this incredible episode with Pastor Chris Hodges. Pastor Chris, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Well, thanks, Mike. We're going to have a good time together today. Yes, we are. I've heard you so many times, and there's no doubt anytime I've been around you, there's this, um, this effervescence of you love people. Is people one of your favorite parts of doing ministry? It is. It's part of my culture. You know, I was raised in South Louisiana. I'm a Cajun. And, uh, and we always say, if you can't have fun with a person from South Louisiana, it's your fault. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so part of the culture I was raised is a lot of food, a lot of laughter, a lot of friends. So I think all of that plays really well into what I do. <laughs> that is so good. When, when you began to ascend into leadership, and you began that journey from being a student pastor and now to what you do, you know, really one of the greatest churches in our country. As you've gone through that journey, did you ever dream there would be a season that that wouldn't be a great season? Because you're you've got such a positive glass half full look on life. When you were getting into it, did you ever dream you'd walk through one of the seasons that was going to be discouraging and hard? Uh, yeah, yes, of course. I knew it was coming. Um, I definitely didn't know it would be to the degree that I would experience it. So 
Um, you know, because even when I go through things, I think, well, you know, we're going to get through this. It's it's not even half full. It's kind of all the way full. And mm. and and you know, this is part of life. And 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 honestly, I'm not the type that would ever you know be depressed or anxious. And so, um, so yeah, I, I kind of even was a little critical of people who got, got down in, in the blues and couldn't find their way out. I was just thinking, like, be happy, man. Let's go. <laughs> you know, it's all right. And so I think I, I needed to learn this. I need, it was something definitely uh, that if you go through it, you're definitely a better leader because of it. Is it something, and, and we're going to dive into your new book, is it something you can learn or is it something you think you have to go through to really understand it? What would you say? You definitely can learn it. Absolutely. I don't think you have to, I don't think I have to do drugs to be able to minister to a drug mm. addict. But if you've been through something like that and you've personally overcome it, you're definitely going to be better. That's, that's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1 when he said, I'm able to comfort others with the same comfort that I received. Mm. So he was actually talking from his personal experience, his personal feelings. And so that always is, I think, the best message. So good. You you made a statement in the book, and this is in the Ford. I think it Rick Warren said it. Sometimes you have to experience darkness before you can appreciate the light. As we get ready to walk into in, in your book out of the cave, as we get ready to walk into that story, what do you appreciate now that you may not have appreciated as much in 2017, early 2018? Just the faithfulness of God, honestly. That you know, I mean, to go through a dark time and just to be able to look back now, look back at it and see just the hand of God working right in the middle of it. And honestly, what I kind of have going for me now is, is experience. Mm. I, I'm so grateful that I'm 58 and a lot, hopefully a lot more mature <laughs> and, you know, but you have these experiences and the more you have them, the more confident you get that you're going to get through it. The, you know, the confidence that you I don't think you, you can possibly have in your twenties or in your teens or in, in the earlier parts of your life. So, so I'm just grateful for the experiences and constantly seeing the faithfulness of God. You know, you compared it to a cave and I was such a great illustration. <laughs> you compared it to a cave. Why was a cave such a great picture of what that season of depression and anxiety that you began to journey, journey through and work through? Why was the cave the picture for you? Yeah, it's you know, because I call it my dark place. It was it was just dark. And, and when, you, when you're in a dark place, you can't see mm. things are there. You know, they're there. But you have this weird inability it's like if it's somebody else's problem, you could navigate it for them. But when That's you're right. in the middle of it, it's 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 like, man, I don't know what to do. You feel, you know, completely unable to handle it. And then it's disorienting. You know, a cave is disorienting. You know there's a way out of it, but you're not sure what direction it's in. And then I think another cave feature is that your mind will start playing tricks on you. So a, a moth could come by your ear and you think it's a bat, you know what I'm saying? And and so you start even making up things and it's actually one of the, the true uh, um, um, results of depression and anxiety is this, um, you take your distress and you'll amplify it beyond what it really is. And mm. it doesn't minimize where you are, but it will amplify it and it can get even more dangerous. 
share with everybody a little bit, Pastor Chris, of what led to this. And I know I was listening to your most recent sermon where you were talking about this back in when you did a two-week series on this, and you said you had gone through it in the late 90s, and then you were writing a book about it because you knew this was something that Americans are dealing with in record. It doesn't matter what level you are. You can from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low, and then 2020 happens. Share with everyone a little bit about what led to this experience for you. Yeah, so I've really only been depressed one time in my life, and it was it felt clinical. It was in 1999, and I was in a very dark place, and everything on paper said I should have been happy, but I just wasn't. And it, it felt like I didn't know what to do. I actually thought I needed medication. I thought I needed some kind of professional help. Um, uh, we were in a, a prayer season at my home church in Louisiana, uh, and I, I got a vision of what I'm doing today. And long story short, that one moment with God of see, having a vision for what I would do with the rest of my life uh, got me out of that cave. Then you fast forward 18 years. Now I'm pastoring this church. I'm living my best life. Everything's just great. But 2018, there were three pastors in America um, that committed suicide. I did not know any of them. I had never even met them one time. But their deaths it impacted me like we were best friends. Mm. And, Mike, when that happens, I, I know, again, I know because I've just done this so long, I know that's not normal. That's that, that's God actually allowing you to feel what the Bible calls a burden. Mm. to, And it's for a reason. And so I was like grieving like these were my, my my own buddies. And and we were in a series at our church where I answer our church's most frequently asked questions. And one of the top questions was on the topic of anxiety. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a message on depression. And I'm embarrassed to say uh, I had been doing ministry at that time, 35 years, and, and had never done a message on the topic of depression. Mm. So I did a week's worth of study, which is not even nearly enough. And but I brought a message that Sunday that became the most rewatched message times a hundred, and I knew like wow we we've hit a nerve here, and uh, and that's when I decided that I would go on a journey. In fact, I brought the same message to a leaders conference about a month later, and same response by all these business leaders and and church leaders. Uh, they were just it 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 hit a nerve. So I decided to go on a, on a couple year a research and writing project, um, and the manuscript was due March. 2020. Does anybody remember that month? (laughs) And so, and I was way behind because we were trying to figure out how to shut down a church and how to deliver a church in this new pandemic reality. Right. And so I was behind on the manuscript. I called my publisher and I said, can we please postpone the release date a couple of months and let me turn in the manuscript in the fall because I'm just, I've never worked harder in my life as I did that spring of 2020. And of course they agreed but now I know, you know, I feel like it was the hand of God because in June of 2020, I would go through my second bout of depression and it was 10 times worse than 1999. And I was in a deep, dark place. Uh, most people didn't even know I was there. Um, I, I would never harm myself, but I was ready to commit ministry suicide. I was done, man. I was, I was so going to check out, going to go do something else. And now I know, Mike, it, it needed to be in the book. You know, I needed to not just write a book on research. I needed to, to walk through it. And so I, I wrote a few stories that felt at the time like I was taking a risk to be that vulnerable and that transparent of what I was thinking and feeling. 
but it was just in the hopes that someone would say, man, if he can share his story, I'll, I'll, I'll have the courage to share mine so people can get some help. Would you have ever dreamed you could have gotten to that place? Knowing the, the not glass half full, as you said, but get glass overflowing, Chris, did you ever dream that your mind could get you that deep and, and stuff? I mean, it was real stuff could get you that deep in the cave. Absolutely not. And, it, and that's the whole point. I, I had a, I had a theology that did, that did not even make room for me to have bad days like that. And that's what the prophet Elijah gave me so much confidence because here's one of the greatest, I mean, he's in the, he's in the tra transfiguration of that's Jesus. Right. There's only Moses and Elijah there. So, I mean, to say this guy's an important figure that obviously heaven rejoices in is, is an understatement. And then here he is after some of his greatest victories in one chapter and six verses later, he's under a tree wanting to die. He wants to take his life and, and, and end his life. He's that dark and that depressed. And so, um, so I had even some theology that needed to take new places in my heart. Um, so honestly, so that I could deliver that to people who were hurting as well, because the church in some cases has been, Hey, just have faith. Hey, let me just pray for you. Hey, let me, you're, you're going to be okay, but, but I'm not okay. And you, you prayed for me and I still feel the way that I feel. And, um, and, and there's a, this horrible stigma around this, especially in the church. And one of my goals of the book was to remove that stigma. I was going to, and I want to pin in on that a little bit. You know, we've got so many leaders from all different walks of life listening to this for a person to say, I'm struggling, man. Oh, okay. But when the leader of that crowd says, I'm struggling, I think there's that fear of what's it going to do to those that follow you? Are they going to lose confidence in you? What would you speak into that leader's life today? Because everybody's going to go through this to some level. What would you say to them? I would, I would say we're 100% we, we're all of us going to go through it. And half of your healing, if I can use that word, or half, half of you coming out of it is in your admitting it and confessing it to at least one other person. You know, there's this verse in the Bible that says that we, we confess our faults not to God. I mean, we confess our sins to God, but right. we confess our faults one to another and pray for each other so we can be healed. So, like, part of this is just saying, you know what? I'm not okay right now. And you're already, I believe, more than halfway through the process. And I love the old C.S. Lewis quote where he said, friendship is born at the moment when... One friend says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. And so that what we're going to all discover is that if you have the courage and the guts to say, you know what, I'm not doing well, they're not going to be shocked and surprised and want to leave your leadership. They're actually going to go, wow, I respect you more. And by the way, I'm going through stuff too. And it'll actually endear you to the people that follow you. And it'll actually show, it'll show them that you have courage and that you're honest and that you're sincere because really truthfully, they all think you're probably going through stuff. Anyway, you're just kind of faking your way through it. <laughs> That's right. They already know. They already know you're exactly they know. right. <laughs> We're the ones. That, yeah. We, we somehow think, I remember years ago talking to a counselor um, that I was going to. And, and I said, he asked me if he said, it's funny, Mike, when you're up on stage, you'll say things you're struggling with. But whenever I sit down with you one-on-one, -on -one, you always tell me things are great. Anytime we meet over lunch, oh, it's great. Life's great. Oh, it's wonderful. I love what I do. And he said, um, he said, Who, what group are you close to? And I told him a Bible study of a group of men that I lead. He said, have you ever told them? And I said, no, 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 no. I, I don't want to hurt their journey. And I remember <laughs> Jeff going, hurt their journey? 
wouldn't it help their journey? And I think as leaders, we get this false sense of I've got to be so in order that it's just not reality. It's just not reality. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the Bible. If you look at the people God uses, why would he intentionally use all these people that today's culture would call failures, mm. like a stutterer named Moses, uh, like an adulterer named King David, <laughs> uh, like a murderer of Christians named Paul. And he goes ahead and lets him write nearly two thirds of the New Testament. I mean, and, and, and was murdering Christians. So it's like, so what, what is the point that God's trying to make? And that is that we're all we all are broken in some way and God right. puts our pieces back together and it's out of the comfort that we received that we're able to comfort others. Mm, that's so good. You know, you, you, you think about, you've been preaching and teaching and leading and, and talking about faith to your children, to your family, to student ministry days, to yeah. you now to lots and lots and lots of people, 30,000 plus people. What has this taught you about the Lord? You would have never known any other way. In the depth of that cave, when you were at your lowest and your worst, what have you learned about the Lord? You couldn't have learned any other way. Yes. So one of the things that I teach in this is that, you know, in chapter 18, God reveals himself to Elijah in this very public, demonstrative, fire from heaven drought ending monsoon rain i call it the dynamic mm. um, but when god's dealing with us as individuals he does it with the intimate mm. so i think we would mm. rather god be this dynamic god this you know split the red sea god this fire from heaven kind of god but what i don't think i realize is how intimate he wants to be so that's what happened to elijah when he got in the cave uh, God, God came uh, in an earthquake, uh, in a strong wind, and in a fire. I call it earth, wind, and fire. You know, so <laughs> they, they didn't create that. God did. But it says that even though God created those three things, He wasn't in those three. And then He came in this gentle whisper, and mm. God was in that that still voice. And I think leaders that are used to stages and amplification and you know being on all the time, we get used to like okay, God's going to relate to me that way. God, God's going to be huge and amplified and on. When honestly, what I learned is that he's in this gentle, quiet moment that we have to learn how to cultivate as leaders because it's, it's, it's counterintuitive to the kind of leaders we even are. And so I, I had to learn how to be still and shut out the outside noises and, you know, it's the old Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. Like, you're never going to know that he's God unless you're quiet enough. And people say, well, God's not, God's not talking. Yes, he is. The, you just, the world's volume is too loud for you to hear it. And so we, we have to sometimes quiet our souls and quiet our minds to realize that God doesn't have a speaking problem. We have a hearing problem. That's right. And, and he wants to talk to us. And I think that's something I learned in that case. What are some of the, and you, you get into this a little bit in the book, what are some steps that you've put into place to help you hear God's voice better? So you can hear that still quiet, that still small, quiet voice. What are some guardrails you've put up in your life to help yourself with that process? Yeah, one of them is the true Sabbath. I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian if you're a business leader listening to this, this principle just flat out works. And that is work six days and don't work one of them every week. 
Like have a day where you're not producing. Have a day where you're going to let your, as Stephen Covey says, you're going to sharpen your sharpen your saw. Mm. You're going to stop. And instead of thinking, oh, no, I've got another day I need to keep cutting. No, no, no. One day you need to stop and sharpen some things. And, and I've learned over the last 10 years, especially, Mike, the value of having a pure Sabbath, a day where I do not produce and I just focus on all things that replenish my soul, my body, my mind. And, it, you know, that's in God's top 10, you know, the 10 commandments. Right. It, and it's ahead of murder and adultery, let me add. And there's scores of people who would never murder anyone or, or commit adultery who almost violate this beautiful command all the time and wondering why they're burnt out and wondering why they can't hear from God. So that's probably in, in, in the, the one I've learned the most. And then, and I try to Sabbath, I try to give a portion of every day to God, like the first few moments. And again, even if you're not a Christian and you're listening to this, this is a principle that works that if you could have an hour of focused thinking time to collect your, your thoughts for the day um, and just start your day off that way, you'll realize your whole day is way more productive. You know, it's it, it, you, you're less likely to allow all this outside noise to in interfere with your life. And so those help you, if you know, if you have those. So I think you have to have some guardrails, the, the, the st your startup time and your shutdown time every day. You know, you have to have a time every day you're going to turn your phone off. I'm just not going to take any more messages past this moment. And perhaps it's time to sit on the couch, you know, and, and hold hands with your spouse and watch, you know, watch Jeopardy together or something. I don't know, but just like, I'm just not going to, go to bed having watched two hours of news and I'm not going to go to bed and with those things on my mind. And I think all those things give you more of ability to hear from God. And you've been pretty open about how you're handling social media now that you, yeah. you <laughs> unplugged from social media, correct? Yeah. Since I haven't, I haven't been on it since June and I've never been happier. <laughs> so I have a team, <laughs> uh, I have a team that manages it for me and they, they post for me. And from time to time I'll say, Hey, I want to, you know, honor my wife. Here's a picture of my wife. It's our anniversary, but I'm not even thinking about it because what started out in my opinion to be something very beautiful and a chance to share, you know, moments and memories with family and friends has turned, turned into one of the most toxic places um, that we can live every day. And, um, and so I just, I, I call it selective ignorance. So good. Every, everybody has to choose, but they're just not going to know. Mm. And it's just, cause you just don't have to know it. And, and one of the best things that leaders that are listening right now could do is just sit down and decide some selective ignorance. I just don't have to know that. Like for me, I'm, I'm better to read the news than to watch the news. Because when I read it, I control what I want to know. But when I watch it, I get caught up in the debates, the commentaries, the emotion side of it. And I just thought, you know, I can find out what's going on without being involved in all that. It's selective ignorance. When a person finds themselves in that cave, you you talk a lot in the book about self-talk and and Elijah, Elijah, you see talking to himself a lot and getting pretty down about where he's at. What role does what role does negative self-talk play at keeping us in the cave and keeping us from getting out? Yeah, so um, psychologists call it ruminating because a ruminating animal, is one that chews the cud. So what a cow does is they eat grass, chew it, swallow it, throw it up back in its mouth and chew it some more, swallow it, 
regurgitate it again back in their mouth and chew it some more. And that's why their head hadn't hit the ground for an hour, but they're still chewing. What are they doing? They're ruminating. Here's the point. And that is every time that grass comes back up, it's not coming up better. It's coming up grosser. It's coming up nastier. Mm, and that's mm. what our thoughts will do. So when you sit and think about your thoughts, you'll swallow it. But every time you bring it back up, it's not coming up better. It's coming back up worse. And you start ruminating yourself. That's what Elijah did. He starts lying to himself. That's right. He starts saying things that he even knew wasn't true. Like, I'm the only one left. Well, no, um, Obadiah just told you in the previous chapter that there's a bunch of other prophets just like you. So, And then God reminded him of that, too. So, so, But you'll start lying to yourself. And honestly, you're not just lying to yourself. You're believing your own lie. I always say, when you're in distress, you're your own worst counselor. So don't be your counselor. That's when you have to not be alone in your thoughts. And for heaven's sakes, don't ruminate. So like for me, Mike, that's Sunday nights. I'm, I'm going over every sentence of my message. It could have been a stellar day. And I'm thinking, wow, man, I wish I would have said, or, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have said. And that's ruminating. And again, and every time, the longer I think about it, it comes back grosser <laughs> and nastier every time. And that's the devil's playground right there in, in our thoughts. To a person that finds himself, I know somebody's listening today and they go, you say the word cave and it's like, they know, they know they're there, maybe a family problem or something at work or whatever has happened in their lives. What would be the first thing you would tell them to do if they find themselves in that cave? What would you tell them? I would tell them the first thing that uh, the angel of the Lord told Elijah. And this is so shocking to me. It was the, it was the most surprising part of my study of this man's life. And that is because you think of an angel came and you're in this dark place. He's going to tell you something like sacrifice an animal or, you know, repent or worship. And he doesn't, he says, Hey, um, let's eat something. And then the angel said, Hey, and go, why don't you go down and lie down? And then he said, hey, why don't you, um, here's, let's eat some more. And then he says, hey, why don't you go lie down again? And, he, and the angel of God told him, before I take you on this journey to get you healthy, I'm, I'm going to have to get your body caught up first. And, and I think it's a lesson, Mike, that all of us need to learn is that sometimes we're not even healthy enough to receive the solution. It's like, it's like you're going to get an organ transplant, but you have the flu. Well, they're not going to give you the organ because your body's going to reject the organ. They're going to wait till you're healthy. They're going to nurse you to a certain level of health. And then they're going to bring you into that operating room and give you that new organ or that new kidney or whatever it is. The same is true in any type of recovery. Um, we're, we're, try, we're, trying to, we're trying to get, get it all solved and fixed, this dark place. But man, you know what? You might need to go have some sleep first. And you might need to get Go, go, go eat some food and let's get it to some place of health. So now that we take this journey, we're healthy enough to actually take it. Cause the Bible says strengthened by that food, he mm. took the journey that God wanted to take him on. That's powerful. And sometimes we over-spiritualize it. I think there's times exactly. we, well, we way over-spiritualize it. And, you know, I remember hearing a friend say, you know, halt when you're hungry, angry, lonely, and tired, don't make a decision. And, there you go. and boy, Elijah find him. He found himself there. You found yourself there. But what I love about you, Pastor Chris, is you didn't stay there. What was it that drove you to get healthy, to not wave the white flag? Because I know you've talked very openly 
every thought in the world entered your mind of quit the game. This isn't worth it. I can, I can go back and tell jokes in Louisiana. I don't, I don't need this. What kept you moving forward and not pitching a tent in the cave and making it your home? Yeah. And that's, uh, it's very simple to answer. And, and I even found research to now back it up and that's purpose. I knew that my life was still, it had meaning and it had purpose and my favorite study of this entire project uh, was my study of the, the Jewish Austrian psychiatrist named Viktor Frankl. Um, of course, he wrote the bestseller, Man's Search for Meaning. But what people might not know about Viktor Frankl is that uh, he's a survivor of the Holocaust. His entire family was murdered in the Holocaust. And when he uh, got, when the war was over, he reestablished his, um, his, his practice um, in Vienna, Austria, and he had a hospital full of suicidal Holocaust survivors. And, and he came up with a therapy that he called logotherapy. And he thought, honestly, the way I say it is he thought he created it, but this is all God. These are all God principles. And he found three things, three things that if people will do, they survive their darkest suicidal moments. And, uh, and, and the end of the story is not one patient committed suicide on his watch, not one. And the three are that every person needs what he called meaningful work, that you're doing something that has meaning attached to it. Now, if, the, if your job does not bring you meaning, don't worry about it. Go volunteer in your church. Do something or go, go to a soup kitchen on, on a Saturday that we all need to do something with our lives that has some meaning attached to it. Number two, to do it with a community of friends that we were, we were created to do things together. And we're, we're living in the loneliest That's society right. in human history. We're, we are, we have things like social media, but there's nothing, there's nothing social about them. We're living our lives in front of our devices and we're as disconnected. And now we're coming out of a year where we've been commanded to be socially distanced, mm. which I would never like that phrase, by the way, we needed to be physically distant to not give each other the disease, but we needed to be socially connected more than ever before. Meaningful work, a community of friends to, to do that work with. And then finally learn the art of taking whatever suffering you've experienced and turn it into something positive. In other words, use it to help somebody else. Like, in other words, give your suffering some meaning and tell your story to help somebody else. And those three things, his logotherapy, not one single person committed suicide on his watch. And so for me, you ask me, what's the number one thing? Is that I found that meaningful work That's right. with a group of people and I'm taking my story and I'm writing a book and telling about it. And I feel as alive today as I ever have um, by using those those three principles, you you talk in the book, Pastor Chris, about the enemy's work in our lives, and and we need to be incredibly aware of it. How much has that come into your brain? Of man, you can't you can't tell this. You can't let the you know the shame that comes along with having that cave experience. Has that been a lot? Uh, have you walked through a lot of that? Yeah, of course, but you know, but I also realized as a as a person of faith, I realized that there's another dimension I cannot see. I, I believe there's a spiritual dimension where there's a battle going on for all of humanity. Uh, Paul describes it in Ephesians six that in this in a heavenly realm, there are wicked spirituals, rulers of darkness 
and principalities that's and right. powers. Now, that's going in my faith. I believe that's going on. And there's a fight for my soul. Uh, the apostle Peter in his epistle said, you have an enemy prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, a roaring lion hides in, in, a, in the bush waiting till you have your face down in the brook you know, not paying attention. And that's when you become, you know, his lunch. And and so we have an enemy that's operating the same way. So the way I tell people, Mike, is if I told you that I found out in intelligence information that tonight, tonight's the night that somebody's coming into your house, they have a key. You're, you don't know it, but they have a key. And when you're fast asleep, they're going to come in and you're never going to hear it. And they're going to take out of your home everything that's precious to you, including your children. Now, if I gave you that information and I have credible, factual data to show you, I, this is this is verifiable information. The question is, what would you be willing to do tonight? Mm -hmm. well, let me answer the question. You ain't going to sleep. Yep. You're not going to sleep. And you might even be prepared to introduce to them two of your friends named Smith and Wesson. <laughs> <laughs> like you're, you're, you're going to be armed and awake. Yep is the point, right? And, 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 and I, I try to tell people, we wake up, mm. be armed and awake. You have an enemy prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And I think we're living our lives a bit too naively and innocently. And, but don't be afraid either because at the name of Jesus, you know, right. principalities right. bow to that name. So it's, it's not a hard fight, but you have to be aware that it, that, that fight is going on. You know, in leadership, every everybody's going to have a cave. I remember hearing a leader say years ago, I never trust a leader without a limp. Every leader has a limp of some sort. You know, we're, we're all going to do enough battle in this that we're going to have our limp. Um, and leadership can be lonely. Leadership can be, you reach that place, it's hard to find. How do you keep leadership knowing how real cave experiences can be, how do you keep leadership from being lonely for you? So, um, and I, I hope this doesn't come across the wrong way because I don't want to come across like I've got it together or I figured stuff out. But if I figured anything out, Mike, and that is the power of close relationships, I am very grounded in my relationships. I have the best, best friends in the world. I've never kept anything from my, my wife. She knows when I'm walking through something, I don't get alone in my thoughts. That one thing that, that's, that saved me. It's the last mm. chapter of my book. That's I right. call it the sustaining relationship that's right. that if you don't have relationships around you, you're in trouble. Let me say it this way. If you're the only one who knows your secrets, you're in trouble. You don't have to tell everybody, but you better tell somebody that we were never meant to go through it alone. So I'm very good. And again, I hope that doesn't come across the wrong, wrong way, but I'm very good at when I go through something that I know what phone calls to make. And I have people, I had, I had friends of mine who said, I will sh cancel everything, get on a plane right now and ask you why I'm there after I get there. And we need to build friendships that way. Say, Chris, how do you do it? You always reap that which you sow. Right. So be it for somebody so that so that when it becomes you, you can you can lean on that yourself. And so it, there's probably nothing more important outside of faith. There's nothing more important than having solid uh, grounding relationships. That is so true. And and 
the sustaining. I love, I love the picture you painted of how life giving they are. And you did such a great job closing out in the book, talking about that. I had a, I had a question from a young staff member. Um, and this was their question. What would you tell somebody who feels spiritually guilty about struggling with anxiety? There's a, there's this guilt and shame that come along with that struggle. What would you tell them? I would just tell them that that's the enemy lying to you. It, you have, you have an accuser of your, of your soul, of your life that wants you to feel that way. But the most, one of those beautiful scriptures in the entire Bible says that we have a high priest in Jesus who sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's right. Why? Because he himself was tempted on all points yet without sin. And the next verse says, so therefore, let us approach him with confidence. So he never intended you to feel shame or guilt. In fact, whenever you feel it, he goes, I remember that. Hmm. I, I remember I remember the opportunity for me to feel that. Like, So we have one who goes, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't point an accusing finger at you. He goes, I understand. Yeah. I understand. And that's why uh, in, in theology, we call it the theology of identification if people want to go study it. But what it means is the real reason why Jesus came to earth wasn't just to pay for sins. If that were the case, he should have just paid for him as a baby. Why did he live 33 years? It's, it's, it's so that he could have experienced all of humanity. And so that when he sits at the right hand of God right now, talking to the father on what it's like to be you on the earth, he's going, hey, dad, that really is hard. Hey, Dad, I remember, I hear them praying, and and, and I, I get that, because I, I remember what that felt like. We have one who understands, he understands, and so don't feel guilty. Realize that your that you're Heavenly Father and, and the Savior of your soul, like, I get that, because he was fully God, but also fully human. That's fantastic. And, and he understood cave experiences. He knew what it was like to feel alone. He knew what it was like to have people turn on him. He knew what it was like to get all those things, but yet he didn't stop and he didn't finish. And, oh, he, he was betrayed. He was rejected. That's right. He was falsely accused, which is my one. I hate the most. I hate, I don't mind somebody hating me for something that's, that's true. I <laughs> hate it when they hate me for something that that's not even true. You have the wrong information. Why are you believing this? You know? And so, and, but Jesus went through that. He was falsely accused. He was, he was beaten. Um, he was rejected by his own family. Uh, his own brothers and sisters called him crazy. Uh, that's in the Bible. Um, right. He he had points of loneliness. He had he had, he felt stressed to the point when that one point time when he was praying, his sweat came out of his brow like drops of blood. So like no, this is a savior who gets who gets what it's like to be you, and he doesn't accuse you. In fact, John three seventeen. Everybody can quote John three sixteen, but John three seventeen said he didn't come into the world to condemn the world but he came into the world that they might be saved. He, he was always on this rescue plan. When you get to the end of your days, you've, you've served him faithfully. You've spoken about him. You have preached about him. You've sung to him. And that day comes where Chris Hodges closes his, his cage and eyes here. And those <laughs> eyes open on the other side. And you get a glimpse of that one who has, so faithfully stood with you. What do you want him to say to you? What do you want those words from him to you to be? And what do you want your words from you? 
to him to be? What do you think? Well, it'll sound cliche, but it's not. And that is Matthew 20, um, 25, 26. Well done. Just good. Hey, I want him to, I, I, I picture him with two thumbs up as I'm walking toward him <laughs> and he's got this giant smile and he just said, Chris, you did it. Well, well done. Good and faithful servant. And I'm trying seriously, Mike, the way I think about it is he didn't give me everything, but he gave me something. So I'm not responsible for that, which he did not give me. But what he did give me, he always intended for me to leverage it for eternal purposes. So I just want to be a good steward of what he gave me. And so for those in the sports world, look, he gave you sports abilities, but not just so you could play games and make money. He always intended you to steward that for eternal purposes. So don't, so if you don't know how to preach, you'll never be asked, why didn't you preach? Because he didn't give you preaching. But he he didn't give me sports ability, but he gave me preaching. Take whatever he's given you and leverage it and steward it so that, that he has both thumbs up as you walk toward him saying, you took what I gave you and you made something of it and you helped people and you, you did it in a way that impacted eternity. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear. You know, you know, when somebody's real, when they get done and you go, man, I feel better because I sure know I've been there. Pastor Chris was authentic. He was transparent. And man, I'm telling you, his story of getting out of that cave so he can continue to make the difference God's called him to is going to help thousands of others get out of theirs. I pray that you'll get out of yours. You're going to visit. Just don't bring a chair. Visit and get out and keep living the life that God intended for you to live. Man, Pastor Chris, thank you so much. I hope you'll go and get that book. Man, it would be a great book to buy for friends and coworkers and others that are in this leadership journey, trying to be the leader that God created them to be. When our next episode, we get to sit down with another mover and shaker that's making a difference for the kingdom, Miss Christina Hovestat. Christina is working in community relations at the National Football League, but she's also dedicated her life to giving back and making a difference in this world for Christ. You are gonna enjoy Christina so much. What a story Christina's got. And man, I remember getting off the phone with her that day and just being so encouraged by her passion. It's going to be a fun one. Well, if you've enjoyed today's episode, go and leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify. It sure helps us, helps other people find their way to us and share this episode with a friend if it's helped you. Well, I pray you go be the leader that God created you to be in the space and the place that he has put you. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.